Welcome, everybody. This is Jake Novak on a live, we're back live today, a live edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. It's December 24th, 2018. And uh, because it's December 24th, we're going to talk about the, the big elephant in the room subject. But first, I want to talk about a couple of other things just to make sure we keep our priorities straight. First off, as you know, last week's very important edition of Novak now about the Bob Levinson situation. Bob Levinson, the longest serving American hostage in the history of this country. He is still being held by the Iranians. He also happens to be a Jew. And the fact that he's been such a long serving hostage has a lot to do with the fact that he's Jewish. Uh, I told you his story last week. I directed you, hopefully you, you checked out my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY. I continue to write updates about Bob Levinson. I want to give you a couple of updates for those of you who listened last week. And if you didn't listen last week, you should still be able to follow this news pretty pretty clearly. First is um, we have some good news. We really have good news on almost all fronts this week on the Bob Levinson situation. The first thing is the leadership at the FBI, not the top, top leadership, but the leadership in the division that handles this kind of situation at the FBI has changed. It's taken a while for that to happen. But a new senior special agent in charge of this situation and many others like it is much more supportive of, uh, of the effort to get Bob Levinson out, the chances of the FBI supporting and at least not obstructing, because they have been obstructing for many years efforts to get Bob Levinson out of Iran. Those chances have really, really improved that that's going to end. And a chance of real help from the FBI is on the way. So that's really good news. Again, I think they may not come up with the money that's needed for the operation and the money that's needed for the proof of life, although they ha they're starting to talk about that, which is very encouraging. But it does look like they are absolutely not going to block other funding uh, avenues as they have been for years. So that is really a major step forward. Another big step forward is there was a resignation this week that was connected to the President Trump's decision to pull uh, U.S. troops out of Syria which is a policy I, I don't really support, although I see the other arguments for it. We can talk about that in another program. But one of the people who resigned in protest of that, in addition to Defense Secretary James Mattis, is a man named McGurk, Bob McGurk, who has been very much involved in the obstruction process for trying to get Bob Levinson out. He has not been a friend of the Bob Levinson situation. We don't know why he's not been a friend of it, other than he does seem to be quite supportive of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, for whatever reason. Don't know why he's that way. We do know he was very supportive of the Iran deal. For that matter, why he's resigning over the Syria thing doesn't make sense, because it seems to help the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe the Revo Iranian Revolutionary Guards aren't happy about it. Who knows? There's a lot of tangled webs that need to be unwoven at some point here. But McGurk's out, and he was a problem, and he's out. And finally, we've had now uh, communications with a, an ambassador of a country I cannot name, but an ambassador to the United States from a country in the region who not only wants to sponsor the money that's needed to get the proof of life, but is, being, is offering to provide some kind of logistical support. So that is another good um, development. For obvious reasons, I can't say the name of that ambassador or the country he represents, but this is uh, another good development. So three good developments, again, Check out the GoFundMe page, Bring Bob Levinson Home. Look up on the internet the story of Bob Levinson. Go into the archives here on the Nachum Siegel Network, the show archives for Novak Now, and you can hear last week's program in its entirety. And, of course, check out my Twitter feed where you'll be able to see clips where the, my real partner in this, 
effort and the person who's actually really leading the effort much more than I am, I'm just the mouthpiece, is a man named Bob Kent, former U.S. Air Force captain intelligence officer. He appeared not only on a number of networks, but also on the Nachum Siegel show last week and discussed the situation. So very, very important effort to get Bob Levinson out of Iran. And there have been some positive positive developments there. The other thing, listen, we're, we're live here on Novak now here. Uh, and so since we're live today, I can't ignore another elephant in the room, which is the government shutdown. And I want to talk about it just for one second, because I'm sure you've heard a million words and read a ton of things about it. I'm, I'm going to be very, very careful not to repeat anything you've heard, you've said. So I'm just going to say one thing, which is there is a strategy that President Trump should execute in this government shutdown battle. And he should do it soon. He should do it soon. Because this government shutdown is over better border security. The Democrats have very wisely decided to call it just about President Trump's wall, which is the building of the wall, which is such a big part of his campaign. And there's a funny thing about the polls. And again, I apologize if you've heard this before. The polls are the funniest thing about this. If you ask the American people, do you want to support President Trump's border wall? Or you say the word border wall, and there's not a lot of support for it. If you say the exact same question, but you say border security, better border security, same amount of money, same amount of effort, but you say border security instead of wall, then there's a big support for it. There's like 70% support for it. So it's clearly a Trump thing. It's one of these things where they figure people don't like Trump and people who might have even begrudgingly voted for him don't like the wall idea. And they don't realize that actually they do support it. They just, they, it's just when it's tied to him personally, they don't. So that's where we are. That's why we have this shutdown right now. OK, because they're spending a lot more money than the five billion and change that President Trump wants on a bunch of things that nobody supports. OK, so it's not about border security. It's really just about trying to make President Trump look bad and making and forcing President Trump to take a stand on something. Well, that said, President Trump actually has a card to play in this government shutdown battle that he's not playing that no previous Republican or Democratic president, certainly not a Democratic president, has ever played. And they should play it, which is this whole issue of the federal workers who are not going to work. You know, they're on this furlough and you'll hear them shrying in the Washington Post, which is which is a company paper, by the way. The Washington Post has some positives and its negatives about it. It's mostly just another mainstream, very left leaning newspaper. But on top of that, it's also a company paper. It is a Washington, D.C. based newspaper meant for the inside, the political class, the people who work in government, the people who work in businesses that cater to the government, the whole nine yards. That's what they do. And that's okay. That's okay. I, I wouldn't expect anything less than them. They're the Washington Post, after all. And for a long time, they weren't really nationally distributed like they are now. Certainly, the internet has made every newspaper theoret theoretically internationally distributed. But there was a time that the Washington Post wasn't wasn't a paper that you could pick up anywhere outside of Washington. Probably one or two newsstands in Ma in Manhattan, you could find it. It was not one of those things that you could find. But it's a company paper. It's a company paper. And you'll hear the federal workers shrying in the Washington Post about how well we're not getting paid. We don't know when we're going to get paid. And every previous government shutdown, when they furloughed these people, they end up getting paid. Now, yes, they don't get paid when they were expected to get paid, but they're also not going to work. So they end up getting paid later than they expected, but they got paid for work that they didn't do. In other words, it becomes a paid added vacation. And boy, what a great time for a paid added vacation. You know, the Senate is adjourned until December 27th, which means that they know they're not going to get called back to work until then. So just in case you were the federal worker who drew the short straw a couple of weeks ago, or maybe I don't know when it was, and you didn't think you were going to get Christmas or this time off, now you got it off and you're going to get paid for it. Really, really nice. Okay. Now, this is and that, that part of the argument you've probably heard before. 
And you've heard some people maybe scolding uh, conservatives who, who make that point saying, oh, yes, but that kind of uncertainty isn't nice. And people should be able to know when they're when they're going to work and when they're going to get paid. And I agree with that argument, actually. I agree with that argument. Here's the thing. President Trump has a card to play here because those federal workers, I would venture to say 80 to 85 percent of them vote for the Democrats. 80 to 85 percent of them that we're talking about here live in northern Virginia and in Maryland. Virginia has become a blue state because of the massive influx of federal workers. We've just expanded this federal government under Republicans and Democrats, by the way. If you're a conservative Republican listening to this, trying to get on your high horse about cutting the size of the government, don't. Because the last few Republican presidents expanded the government size just as much as the Democrats did, in some cases more some cases more, like President George W. Bush with the Department of Homeland Security, which has an important job to do, but I still don't agree with the, with the establishment of that department. It's just yet another department that we didn't really need. We needed the job that they do, but that didn't have to be done by the creation of a whole new department. So you've had a bunch of presidents coming around. So you've had all these federal workers. They live in Maryland, solid, solid blue state. You have Virginia, which has become a blue state. These, these folks don't vote for Republicans. They will never vote for Republicans. They will never vote for President Trump. That's for sure. So President Trump has nothing to lose. This is a strategy I would like him to execute with this government shutdown. I want him to go to the Democratic leaders. I want him to go to Pelosi and Schumer and say, listen, it's your people you need to take care of. These federal workers are 85% Democrats. They vote for you. They're your people. And I'm not going to sign any government shutdown ending bill that pays their retroactive pay unless you give me my border security funding, my border wall funding, security, slap fence, whatever you want to call it. Unless you give me that $5.6 billion, I'm not signing anything with their retroactive pay, pay and we're just going to continue on with the shutdown. And they're going to know that it was because of you that they didn't get their pay for this free vacation that they're getting otherwise. And that, to me, is a tremendous card for him to play because he doesn't have to worry about losing those voters. And the news media is on tilt in its Trump bashing since the day he was inaugurated, since the day before he was inaugurated. They, but they're on tilt. There's nothing more they can say about him. I mean, literally every day, especially in the Washington Post, there are two or three editorials saying, that's it. This is the last straw. Now he's really the worst guy. And then a week later, no, no, this is it. This is it. He's the last straw. I mean, it's, it's become a joke. They have no, they've hit, hit total tilt. So he has nothing to lose on that score. He has nothing to lose from any votes he's going to lose. He's not going to lose any votes from federal workers who aren't going to get paid or, or, or will be angry at him for threatening not to pay them for their, for their vacation, for their unexpected free vacation at the best time of the year, pretty much, to have a vacation. Maybe the summer is a little better, but this is pretty good, okay? For federal workers who drew the short straw and ended up having to work Christmas time, now they don't have to work Christmas time, and they're expecting to get paid anyway for that non-work. He has nothing to lose here. And he really needs to come out and say, I'm not going to sign any bill that ends the shutdown that gives these guys retroactive pay unless you give me my border stuff. And see how long it is before the federal workers that these people have to work with. The Schumers and the Pelosi's have to look in the face every single day that they work. And by the way, that's a big reason why we have too much government spending. I mean, it's one thing to, to say no to people who want money for the government who you never really interact with. But those federal workers who they see every day, you better believe that's a big reason why the federal workers were allowed to unionize under President Kennedy. You better believe that's why they get tremendous benefits. It's because they are the ones, A, who sometimes write the laws, and B, they're the ones who see these senators and congressmen have to see every day. They're, you know, they don't want to be the one who has to work in the same office of the people they just shafted. Okay? And as those days go on, President Trump needs to say, if you are one of those federal workers who isn't getting paid and is worried about getting paid, you know who to talk to. Call your old boss. 
call Schumer, call Pelosi, call all those members of Congress who are not voting to give me my border uh, security money and ask them why they're holding up your pay. Because I'll, I'll give you all the retroactive pay that you're due. Every day that you didn't work, I'll still give you your pay. But I got to get the border money. Got to get that. And let's see where that goes. Again, former in the past, a Republican president would never have the guts to do that because they would get killed in the press for it. Can you imagine George W. Bush or George H.W. Bush or Ronald Reagan? They would get killed in the press for that. Well, Donald Trump gets killed in the press every single day. He gets killed in the entertainment media every single day. What does he have to lose? What does he have to lose? He has nothing to lose. And especially, he, and he doesn't have anything to lose with the voting. I think there was a time 20, 30 years ago when maybe it was split down the middle, where federal workers were split down the middle between Republican voters and Democrat voters. That's just not the case anymore. Even the people who work in the federal bureaucracy who were appointed or I wouldn't say appointed, who, who got those jobs because George W. Bush or George H.W. Bush created a new department or whatever they did, they're still not Republican voters. And if they are Republican voters, that 15 percent or so, they're in a blue, they're in a blue zone. I mean, for those of you Republicans in Maryland who vote for president, I mean, they're not going to ever vote for a Republican in our lifetimes from Maryland. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. Virginia, like I said, also become a blue state. So President Trump has nothing to lose politically. He has nothing to lose from a point of view of reputation or the way he'll get bashed in the media by really, really threatening to hold up the, the federal workers pay unless he gets what he wants. And I think he should do it. I think he should do it because it'll show everyone uh, just where the bread is buttered on the Democrat side of the aisle. Now, remember, President Trump offered the Democrats a very, I think, an incredibly generous deal on DACA, on the Dreamers. He was basically going to give them a very easy path to citizenship. A lot of conservatives very angry about that. But in return for that border money, he was willing to give them that. And he's still willing to give them that. And the Democrats have completely brushed that aside, which just goes to show how much they care about the so-called dreamers. If you're, uh, if you're listening or you know somebody out there who wants to get that legal status in this country and you really, really thought that the Democrats were on your side, I hope that you're not still delusional enough to believe that's true. They, don't care, uh, they just don't care a lick about you. They just don't. What they care about is bashing the president, which, by the way, is really a crowded trade, as we call it in, 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 finance, in the financial term. It's really crowded out there. Everyone is bashing the president. OK, I don't know how anyone gets in a word in edgewise in the bash the Trump uh, world because everyone's doing it all the time. There's no way to really stand out doing it. OK, so that's just a couple of things that, you know, again, it's it's, it's a live edition here of Novak now on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I wanted to get those two issues out there to get the good news on the update about Bob Levinson. And not only my advice, actually, this advice was given to me by a good friend. Uh, I, I'm not the one who came up with this gambit that I think President Trump should should use, but I think he should use it. I think he should use it because honestly, he's got nothing to lose. Now I want to get to the, the elephant in the room because it's December 24th. This is, as we call it, Christmas Eve. This is the biggest national holiday in the United States about to happen tonight and tomorrow. And I just can't help but think about the history of, uh, of Christmas from the viewpoint of American Jews. And American Jews, in, in, in my opinion, in my observation, over the years and, and over our history in this country, have had what I would consider to be, from all sides, a really extreme reaction to this holiday. Extreme reactions from all sides. And I don't think that extreme is ever justified. And I'm going to go through some of the extreme reactions to the holiday that I've seen over time. Now, I'm going to start from my own personal perspective, which is the extreme rejection of Christmas that I grew up with in 
not so much my home, but certainly the, the, the yeshiva day schools that I went to. In the yeshiva day schools that I went to, there seemed to be this incredible paranoia, this fear, this phobia, that somehow some other Jews would look at them and say, they're not anti-Christmas enough. They, maybe secretly they're doing something for Christmas, which is ludicrous. Uh, I went to the Yeshiva of Flatbush High School. And yes, when I went there, there were a number of students there who were not Dati, who were not Shomer Shabbat. Uh, I think almost every one of the people in the school that was kept kosher. But um, yeah, there were, there, were, there were students there who were, and to be, you know, and they, should, they were to be tremendously commended. I mean, imagine being a non-Shomer Shabbat student at an Orthodox Yeshiva. Just think about that for a second. And Grant, no, it was not a black hat Yeshiva, but it was an Ivrit Ivrit school. We had 12 subjects a day, Seven of which were either, you know, Torah and Talmud and 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 Ivrit and all that. Uh, you know, that's a heck of a commitment for someone who isn't that religious when you think about it, or at least not as religious as, you know, a fully orthodox person. And you know, I guess that there was just this little bit of a chip on the shoulder of the folks who ran the school at the time about the the relatively high number of kids there who were maybe not Shomer Shabbat or something along those lines. Which, again, was ludicrous. They should have been proud of that. Imagine, I mean, it, they, they were educating. This is a net gain. They were educating people who otherwise might not have gotten any Jewish education at all. And they were getting a heck of a Jewish education, a major Zionist education, a major uh, Bible education. You know, Flatbush was very famous and it still very much emphasizes Chumash a little bit more over Talmud. You know, we would have something along the lines of about three periods a day of a Chumash-related type class and then two of Talmud if you were a boy. Actually, I think the, girl, the girls had the same thing. So a little bit, you know, there was plenty of both, but we would, we would, there was a little bit more of an emphasis on the Bible there. That was their thing. But anyway, that was, so that, so that extreme fear manifested itself in a big pain in the neck for the rest of us. I remember one year when I was in high school, it was a Friday. So already we had half a day because it's Friday in December. I mean, honestly, it, it was almost not even worth going into school on Friday in December because Shabbat starts, you know, really, really early. And we would have these days where, you know, it would be, oh, you know, a, a, a snowy, difficult day on the, on, on the Christmas day, on December 25th, and we still had to come into school. We still had to come into school, and the janitors and people who were not Jewish had to come in, uh, uh, probably just a skeleton crew, but still, people who wanted to celebrate the holiday were inconvenienced. It was all done for appearances, and I felt that was really an extreme reaction towards Christmas that was not necessary. I wasn't celebrating Christmas. I didn't know anybody who was celebrating Christmas. Nobody was doing it. It was absolutely, it was just, it was a silly kind of thing just to make us all remember, God forbid you should do what so many sadly other Jews do. And that brings me to the other extreme. Of course, the other extreme, which is sadly much more common, is you have millions of American Jews who literally think they're celebrating the holiday tonight and tomorrow. And I'm not even talking about Jews who are in mixed marriages or Jews who are in that kind of a relationship. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jews who are Jewish families who might put up a tree, might have a Christmas party, the whole thing. I'm not talking about a Hanukkah party. I mean, they actually have a Christmas party. This is something that millions of American Jews do. And it irks me, obviously, just as much as people who go too extreme on the other side. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why it irks me, and I'm going to get into the, some of the more nuanced ones, but I'm going to get to the really blunt one right now, and it's a blunt one, and I apologize for people who don't have the stomach for what I'm about to say. But it's very, very important that we as Jews don't celebrate Christmas for a lot of reasons, and I'm going to give you the first reason, which is, for centuries in Europe, Christmas was not a good day to be a Jew, okay? Now, I don't mean to cast aspersions on all not Jews 
who celebrate Christmas, or even all non-Jews who celebrated Christmas back in Europe 300 years ago, because certainly not all Europeans were that way, not even at any given time, not even during the Holocaust. Thank God. We know that there were some Hasidei Umoto Alam who saved Jews. We know all that. So I'm not casting aspersions on people in general, but I am trying to say that on Christmas Day in Europe, in a lot of countries, especially Western and Eastern Europe, that was a really bad day to be a Jew. That was a good day to hide in the basement because people would sometimes get riled up, sometimes maybe from a homily from a parish priest, maybe something that they heard in a, in a bar hall, and they would go and they would beat Jews up or they would kill them. It was a bad day to be a Jew. So it was Easter, by the way. I think Easter might have been worse in some cases. So it's not a day for Jews to be celebrating, okay? It's just not. This is different from respect. This is different from not going crazy like you know my old school did. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jews who actually think they're celebrating the holiday, think that it's a secular time to, to sing and dance along, or, around when their ancestors might have been getting beaten upside the head on that day just because it was Christmas. Okay, so I give you the most blunt reason first. I'm sorry if that offended you, but I'm giving you the first blunt reason first. It's not a day to celebrate. Now, let me get into something a little bit more nuanced, because there's a third thing about the way Jews respond to Christmas, which has started to perk up, percolate up in the last few years. It's become a little bit more of a fad now. This did not exist so much when I was a kid. So, it, and it's become the third thing that irks me and should irk all of us and should be very, very distasteful to all of us. In addition to the, again, the extreme hatred of Christmas, phobia that people will think that we're celebrating when it's just not justified. If you're a yarmulke wearing, Shabbat observing, kosher keeping Jew, no one should, should, should you know, think that you're gonna do anything that, that celebrates Christmas. That's outrageous. Same thing as it's outrageous as a Jew of any kind to be celebrating the holiday, which could be, you know, which really commemorates to a lot of people. Unfortunately, it's an anniversary of a bad day. Okay, anniversary of a bad day for 300 years. I'm not talking about 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about it for hundreds of years. And here's the third thing that's been percolating up, and I saw it again this morning in in Newsday. There's a now a group of you see a number of Jewish people, Jewish leaders, rabbis, other outspoken Jews who, thankfully, thankfully, I'm, I'm grateful for this part. They're thankfully willing to say, hey. I don't celebrate Christmas. I'm a Jew. I'm a proud Jew. I'm a traditional Jew. I'm, I don't celebrate Christmas. So I'm not celebrating Christmas. Okay, I'm grateful for that part of their statement. But then they go on to say how much they respect and love Christmas. Isn't it great? It's pretty. There's nice music. People seem to be nicer to each other. Hey, listen, I got nothing against any of those things. I like prettiness. I like music. And I like people being nice to each other. Okay? But let me tell you something about having a real respect. If you want to show respect, which is, which is where I think this is coming from, this traditional Jew or at least proud Jew person kind of saying, I don't celebrate Christmas, but I love your holiday or I respect your holiday. There's a, the right way and there's a wrong way to do that. Going on and on about how much you love the music and how much you love the, the Charlie Brown animated special and how much you love the way people are being nice to each other. That's great. Okay. But that's really not what Christmas is about. Now put yourself in the shoes of a devout Christian. Now, I come from a different perspective here because I, I've lived among devout Christians for a decent part of my life, and I know a, the way a lot of them feel. So let me put you, let, let me try to get you into the way a lot of them feel around Christmas. How do you like it when you who go to shul every single day, or at least every Shabbos, and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur come around, and you have to sit in the way back because somebody who never comes all year, donate, who donates maybe a little bit more money, gets your seat, okay? That's kind of the way a lot of devout Christians and evangelicals feel on Christmas. All of a sudden, everybody's interested. Everybody's interested in doing something Christmas, but they are they really? They're interested in the presents, they're interested in the pageantry, they're interested in all that fancy stuff, 
But remember, Christmas is a religious holiday. I hate to sound like an evangelical here with the whole, you know, put Jesus back in Christmas thing that they do. But they have a point. Christmas is the Christians, devout Christians who are really celebrating the holiday and really observing the holiday are not interested in the rest of the world being interested in, oh, the music and the party and the candy. Okay. For them, Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus and what that means to them. And if you're not into that, if that isn't what you're into, thank God we've moved past the point where they're not willing, where they're killing, you know, where they used to be willing to kill us over it. Thank God we've moved past that. And by the way, we have. For those of you who try to make comparisons between Christians and Muslims, you're about 500 years off on your chronology. Okay, 500 years ago, beheading was a big deal for Christians. It's not anymore. 500 years ago is when it sort of ended, and it's been getting better, in my opinion, ever since. We can have an entirely other edition of Novak now where I talk about how the Holocaust was not a Christian outgrowth of Christianity, although they use some Christian themes. They use some Catholic arguments against Jews here and there, although I don't think that, that, that they are married to one another. The point is... They've moved on from that, but they are not interested. A devout Christian who is really devout, who is really celebrating this holiday and really observing this holiday is not interested in the fact that we come around and say, oh, it's great. I love the music. I, I, I love the, the Christmas wreath. That's not what they're interested in. And if you are not willing to accept their theology, their religious belief, then it's best that you take a step away. You can wish them a Merry Christmas. You can say, I hope this is a meaningful holiday for you. By the way, that is a trend that I do like. I love the way people are now are saying, I hope you have a meaningful Shabbat, we have a meaningful Pesach, or you know, say it to Christians, I hope you have a meaningful Christmas or a meaningful Easter. I love that. That's a trend I like, if, as long as people are really thinking about what that means. I like that trend. I appreciate that trend. But if all you're doing is just saying you like the little trimmings and trappings of Christmas, even as a respected Jew, even as a Jew who says, listen, I'm not celebrating, I'm not doing any of those things, you're, doing, you're still doing it wrong. And I want to tell you a funny story to make that point really put, put, a, put a really strong emphasis on this point. And it came from a really surprising source. When I was in college, I taught at one of the local reform synagogue Hebrew schools part time. It was good money, not a lot of, I didn't need a lot of time to prepare. Uh, and, and it was a really, it was a good experience. It was, it was one of those good experiences where I was able to teach kids how to read Hebrew. And I got a pretty, for, for a part time job when you're in college and you didn't even have to get into a car. We just took a bus or, or a subway in Manhattan. It was pretty good. And around this time of the year, my I only did it for one year, the rabbi came into all the classes wearing a talus like a scarf. Now, you see this on the streets of Manhattan all the time now, people wearing these big scarves, Middle Eastern kind of scarves, scarves, I should say, and uh, they're wearing it like that. But, but at the time, this is 30 years ago, this was not something that you saw. So it was really shocking. And, and even for these reformed Jewish kids who were just there at Hebrew school, like they were there like three days a week, I guess it was, or two, back then. They probably only have two days a week um, Hebrew school now. They were taken aback by it. They were angry at him. They said something along the lines of like, Rabbi, that, that's not a piece of clothing. That's not a stylish or fashionable sta fashion statement. That's a talus. You're supposed to wear it in, in a nice way. And he took it off and he said, that's exactly the response I wanted to get from you guys. Because that is the way I feel about Jews celebrating Christmas. If Jews are celebrating Christmas, it's a fashion statement. It's a fun thing. It's a trapping. It's, 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 a, it's an accessory. But for Christians, for real Christians, for real devout Christians, it's a really, it's a holy thing, like the way that we try to treat the talit or our tefillin or a Sefer Torah. And for us to use it as an accoutrement, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a accessory, as an accessory, is an insult. It's an insult to, to, to them, and it's an insult to anything that this means to them. And it's not appropriate. 
It's just not appropriate. It's also not appropriate to say, well, I like it. It, it, it's it's it, it's kind of cool. Okay, listen. The way that you say that, if you want to express a warm sentiment to somebody during this holiday who's not Jewish, you could say, "Have a meaningful holiday." I think I think that what you're doing is that, but you don't have to make such a public statement. Again, there was another one today in Newsday. It just it, it's just so disingenuous to me. This is not what the holiday is about. It's not about you applauding someone else's religious practice and saying, "Oh, I like the way it feels to me or looks." That's not what it's about. So again, there are extremes, one way or the other. Jews, we don't celebrate Christmas. We also don't need to trash Christmas. But we also don't need to pretend that we respect something that's really, really important to these to, to, to Christians that we don't really understand. We're not really focusing on what is really important to them about their holiday. I hope you have a lovely federal holiday over the next couple of days. Let's get this shutdown fixed. Let's get a bunch of other things going. Let's bring Bob Levinson home. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now. I'll speak to you again next week.